Welcome to the Cove's audio articles, where you can listen to some of the Cove's best articles rather than reading them. This article is entitled, The Battle of Morawi, Small Team Lessons Learned for the Close Fight, by 1st Battalion Officer from the Royal Australian Regiment, James Lewis. In May 2017, Islamist insurgents swarmed through the city of Morawi, taking the population of 200,000 hostage and announcing it as a new capital for Islamic State in Southeast Asia. This wildly ambitious, unprecedented move triggered a state of emergency, and from May to October 2017, fighting echelons of the armed forces of the Philippines deployed to Marawi in the Mindanao region of the southern Philippines. The southern Philippines has proven a haven for Islamist terrorists for many years. However, anecdotal evidence suggests the region has also seen a recent increase in activity due to an influx of foreign terrorist fighters from the Middle East. Prior to Marawi, the armed forces of the Philippines had limited experience in urban combat, with their training historically focusing on jungle operations to suppress various Islamist groups and the National People's Army, a rebel communist group. As a result, with almost no notice, the soldiers, marines, sailors and airmen, and women of the armed forces of the Philippines, were required to adapt to this new environment extraordinarily quickly. The lessons learned by the armed forces of the Philippines from grinding combat in a large, broken, crowded city are important. The Australian Army has leading training for combat operations in the urban environment, but it must learn everything it can from the armed forces of the Philippines' vicious Marawi experience to ensure it's best prepared to operate, fight and win in similar urban conflicts. The aim of this article is to describe the key tactical lessons the Australian Army can learn from the armed forces of the Philippines' urban siege of Marawi City. Consideration of these lessons may inform and improve the Australian Army's current approach to the force generation of close combat combined arms capabilities. It will identify the key tactical lessons learned by the armed forces of the Philippines fighting an intelligent, determined, disciplined and well-equipped terrorist threat in the extraordinarily difficult, intense and complicated terrain. These lessons are drawn from a wide range of sources, including reporting from Australian and US observers, as well as the Philippines Joint Special Operations Group, Light Reaction Regiment, and Marine Special Operations Group. Marawi, a vicious urban siege. On the 23rd of May 2017, security forces from the Philippines conducted a raid in the city of Marawi to capture an insurgent named Isnalon Hapalon, the former leader of the Abu Sayyaf group and self-proclaimed emir of Islamic State in East Asia. The forces who conducted the raid reported much tougher resistance than expected. The insurgents were rapidly reinforced and quickly revealed extensive defensive preparations throughout the city, well-constructed defensive positions, concealed routes, hidden ammunition and arms caches, and an almost doctrinal urban defensive plan. The raid was repulsed, and by the end of the day, the so-called Islamic State in the Philippines had triggered their long-laid plans to dominate the city. 
Martial law was declared by President Rodrigo Duterte and a five-month urban siege to regain the city commenced. The battle was pitched against a well-resourced, sophisticated enemy who had the home ground advantage. Extensive preparations had been conducted throughout the city and an intense, protracted and close-quarters battle, the likes of which had not been seen in the region in decades, became the only way to destroy the enemy and recapture the city. On the 23rd of October, following 153 days of war, this gruelling mission was achieved. The costs of the Battle of Marawi were high. Opinions on infrastructure damage vary, but aerial imagery indicates that huge swathes of the city have been devastated by the fighting, the mass destruction flattening entire city blocks. The World Bank estimates it may take two decades to restore Marawi to its original condition. However, the true price of the battle is that paid by the people of Marawi and the lives of those fighting in it. 165 members of the armed forces of the Philippines were killed in action, with over 1,000 injured. Some reports indicate over 1,000 insurgents were killed in the siege, which also took the lives of 47 civilians. The fighting drove over 400,000 people from their homes. Tactical lessons learned? Modern urban warfare against a tenacious terrorist threat in an Indo-Pacific city. Close combat, the fundamentals. Observation. Fundamentally, the Battle of Marawi was a battle by individuals and small teams. While the armed forces of the Philippines had access to overwhelming offensive support, armoured fighting vehicles, unmanned aerial surveillance and close air support platforms, the city was not free of terrorists until every building had been deliberately cleared by the man and teams on the scene with a gun. Despite the significant destruction wrought by close air support and indirect fires, this battle demonstrated that intense close combat remains the only way to achieve decisive victory. Expertise in combat shooting, battlefield fitness and small team tactics, techniques and procedures or TTPs were the driving factors for the armed forces of the Philippines' eventual success. Furthermore, the Battle of Marawi demonstrated that it takes a high standard of command, control and communications, or C3, combat trauma management and interoperability with supporting arms, such as joint fires and engineers, to fight and win in the urban environment. The observations made by the Operation Augury land mentoring and training team support this. The most regular feedback received after the combat shooting, urban tactics, joint fires, counter-improvised explosive device, urban breaching and combat trauma management training was that these skills would have allowed the armed forces of the Philippines to win more rapidly and with fewer casualties. Lessons learned. While the armed forces of the Philippines had access to enabling technologies and supporting arms such as indirect fire, close air support and armoured fighting vehicles, the battle was ultimately won by room-to-room, house-to-house fighting. No amount of firepower can substitute this intimate, discriminate and precise application of force. Combat shooting, battlefield fitness, small team TTPs and battlecraft are more important than any other skill and must be prioritised. 
Above all else, the Australian Army must have the ability to deliver small combined arms teams to the fight who are capable of shooting faster and more accurately than their enemy out to 200 metres by day and by night, who can dominate and control complex spaces more rapidly and with fewer casualties, and who can operate seamlessly with other small teams or supporting elements in joint and coalition environments. The Marawi experience suggests that such small teams operating seamlessly alongside engineers, artillery and armour, as well as combat medics and military police, fighting as combined arms sections, platoons, combat teams and battle groups, are essential. Owning the Night Observation Both the armed forces of the Philippines and the insurgents had very limited access to night fighting equipment. Indeed, the only forces well equipped with night fighting equipment were those from the Special Operations Command and the Marine Special Operations Group. This meant the majority of forces were static at night and would occupy urban defensive positions until dawn. Early warning devices would be improvised by placing tins and cans on lines of string or by shattering fluorescent globes on likely enemy approaches. The clanging of the tins or the crunch of the broken glass would compromise any would-be attacker. However, Filipino special forces with access to night fighting equipment were extremely effective when operating at night. They were able to cross obstacles considered risky during daylight and could conduct assaults on enemy positions to take advantage of the overwhelming overmatch in night fighting ability. They could then pathfind for conventional forces who had little to no night fighting equipment to secure new battle positions. Lesson learned. The Australian Army should seek to leverage its significant advantages in night fighting equipment and ability. All elements of the combined arms team must seek complete fluency in all skill sets between day and night and become comfortable with operating primarily in the dark. In a context similar to Marawi, the ability to dominate the enemy by day and night and to strike him when he's most vulnerable could prove decisive. This requires agile and stealthy forces who are comfortable in conditions of significant fatigue. Non-verbal communication by night should be second nature, but it's a skill that takes time and practice to master. Basic skills such as small team room entry drills and corner and petition drills become significantly more complex once combatants can't rely on peripheral vision. Reverse cycle operations can and should be the norm, and combined arms units should seek to train in these conditions as often as practicable. This will require a shake-up of traditional training and barracks training approaches and will require commanders to adopt much more flexibility around start and finish times during the working day. Reverse cycle training can be resource neutral and employed in a standard barracks working week. Training can be in a purpose-built facility or even in the facilities around barracks. The only requirements are clear targeted training outcomes, not just training for the sake of being there, and committed, creative leaders. Use of armour. Observation. Morawi highlighted the vital importance of having armoured fighting vehicles fight alongside the infantry and engineers in the urban environment. The Marawi experience suggests that in such a contested, formidable and lethal environment, armour saves lives. Wherever possible, 
infantry platoons would advance with armour in intimate support, bounding forward to clear the way and allowing the armoured fighting vehicle to move forward to a support-by-fire position. Engineers would breach with armour in close support wherever possible, and the armoured fighting vehicles were also used to support casualty extraction. Despite the obvious advantage of the mobility, firepower and protection that armoured fighting vehicles afforded the armed forces of the Philippines, their mobility limitations became clear. Even in undamaged areas, the narrow labyrinth streets found in most Indo-Pacific cities will pose significant limitations for armoured fighting vehicle employment. Particularly, given the overwhelming destruction in Marawi, there was limited option to employ an armoured fighting vehicle in many areas until bulldozers could clear corridors and fire positions for them. This was typically conducted using a leapfrog technique, which is described shortly. Lesson learned, armour-supporting inventory is highly desirable in the urban environment, but their limitations must be considered and significant interoperability training must occur beforehand. The time it takes to refine TTPs and develop the trust and understanding required to fight in combined arms teams means that infantry and armour should train together in this environment regularly. Furthermore, armed fighting vehicles will be unable to access key areas in the urban environment without access to bulldozers or other mobility support. Urban mobility training for armour and engineers should also be prioritised. Command and Control Observation Due to difficulty in coordination and inexperience in orchestrating effects in the urban environment, command and control was highly centralised. Furthermore, because urban fighting was new to the armed forces of the Philippines, rapid operational tempo and simultaneous action were nearly impossible to achieve. Lesson learned the most effective way to achieve tempo in this situation would be the orchestration of multiple effects simultaneously rather than in sequence. For example, walking suppressive fire up or across a building in support of the break-in is much more effective than cutting fire completely. Training commanders to favour simultaneous action over linear effects planning will support achieving tempo at all levels. This can be accomplished by enabling shared understanding using a common operating picture such as that provided by a battle space management system down to a small team level, combined with clearly understood and thoroughly rehearsed control measures. Furthermore, continued emphasis on junior leaders must be maintained. Having platoons and sections capable of conducting simultaneous activity without micromanagement increases the higher commander's ability to layer multiple effects and achieve decision superiority. The Australian Army's focus on small team leadership and developing tactical acumen is well spent and should continue to be a fundamental line of effort. Targeting Withdrawal Routes Observation in Marawi, the enemy used covered withdrawal routes or rat lines, holes dug through walls or floors or concealed passageways through basements, etc., to enable movement to and from battle positions or to move to depth if a battle position was at risk of being overrun. When these were discovered, the armed forces of the Philippines would either have combat engineers collapse the tunnels on top of the enemy or use tear gas to flush the lines out. 
If using smoke or tear gas, they would concurrently send a drone above the entrance as they could often find the other end of the rat line by watching for the smoke escaping from the far end. Lesson learned. In this situation, close combatants could adopt a similar tactic. Combat support or smoke grenades would be used to flush out any enemy tunnels discovered concurrently by deploying an unmanned aerial system to observe the area and having an interdiction force ready, an infantry-led call sign could rapidly mark the exit to a rat line with the escaping smoke, identify it with unmanned aerial systems and interdict any fleeing enemy combatants. This would need to be carefully coordinated, but this tactic would mitigate the high risk of methodical and time-consuming subterranean or tunnel rat clearances. Such subterranean withdrawal routes could be readily rigged with improvised explosive devices, IEDs, or targeted by an ambush. Ground-up innovation. Observation. In the Battle of Marawi, the Marines of the Philippine Marine Corps had little to no access to smoke grenades. This posed a significant problem for mobility, primarily due to the sniper threat from fire lanes, streets and alleys in particular. As a result, innovation was required to deny enemy observation and enable urban manoeuvre. To conduct crossings, the Marines of Marine Battalion Landing Team 10 would carry a long piece of fabric the height of a Marine. They attached one end of the fabric to one side of the obstacle and had a runner sprint across the fire lane, trailing the sheet behind him. He would then tie it off, taut, to the other side of the obstacle. This then enabled the entire platoon team, or combat team, to cross with relative impunity, especially as the resource-poor enemy wouldn't risk wasting ammunition by drake shooting at the sheet. Lesson learned? The previous vignette illustrates the value of innovation in combat. Due to the operational realities in Marawi, a resource-poor enemy, limited friendly resupply, and a significant amount of enemy snipers, the sheet method for conducting urban obstacle crossing was an expediency born of necessity. The example highlighted illustrates the value of allowing bottom-up innovation drive TTPs, finding localised solutions to localised problems, not necessarily aligned to doctrine and giving frontline troops the latitude to be creative. The Australian Army has a rich tradition of such innovation in combat, harking back to the famous drip rifles of the Gallipoli campaign. Clinging to orthodox solutions would have made the armed forces of the Philippines predictable and targetable. Building teams where members feel empowered to be involved in problem solving, where critical thinking is the norm, and where making honest mistakes in training is accepted and encouraged, is the first step in this process. This is easier said than done and needs to be driven by leaders at all levels, but if correctly implemented, will result in a force characterised by agility and innovation rather than tradition and predictability. Use of unmanned aerial systems. Observation. During the Battle of Marawi, both the armed forces of the Philippines and the enemy used drones extensively. Drones were employed down to platoon team, combat team level to observe both friendly troop movement as well as enemy infiltration and exfiltration routes, movement and locations. Both forces employed inexpensive off-the-shelf varieties, 
as each side would prioritise shooting down one another's aerial surveillance assets. The armed forces of the Philippines used a rudimentary marking system to identify friendly unmanned aerial vehicles to ensure they didn't accidentally shoot down those from neighbouring call signs. Lesson learned? This would suggest that at a tactical level, commercial drone technology can be extremely effective at complementing the in-service encrypted unmanned aerial system fleet. The consequences of losing a Black Wasp or Hornet in combat would be significantly greater than losing an Australian $400 off-the-shelf drone that is essentially disposable. The loss of a store-bought drone would not risk losing any controlled or encrypted technology. Any operational security issues would be mitigated by the fact that the information developed from these off-the-shelf drones is purely tactical and, at best, relevant for a very short period of time. Furthermore, it would likely allow frontline units to replace damaged or capture unmanned aerial systems far more quickly than unit requisition would be capable of. The other key lesson for the Australian Army is that close combat forces must be adept at using unmanned aerial systems and that there is benefit from increasing exposure to and understanding of these technologies. Offensive support. Extraordinary firepower was employed to enable the seizure of Marawi City. One company from the 2nd Infantry Division employed over 10,000 mortar rounds in three months. Offensive support came primarily in the form of close air support, intimate support from mortars, and employing 105mm field guns in a direct fire roll. Close air support. Observation. The armed forces of the Philippines were very effective in employing close air support to enable house-to-house -house clearances. These strikes were highly effective on the first pass of the aircraft, when surprise could be maintained. However, the enemy became aware of the close air support schedule, undermining its effectiveness. Once they identified a close air support platform in the air, there was a marked decrease in the enemy movement in the open, as they waited for the asset to retire and refuel. This limited the effectiveness of the aircraft in both a close air support and intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance role, and due to the limited number of aircraft and crews available to the Philippines Air Force, meant that once the air window was closed, the insurgents could be confident in acting and or attacking without concerning themselves with air attacks for some time. Lesson learned? Planners should be alert to the enemy's tendency to monitor close air support flights, especially if continuous air cover is not available. The number of sorties available, the on-station time, and the time required to transit and rearm refuel before returning to the area of operations should be considered essential elements of friendly information that need to be protected from the enemy. Control measures. Observation. Marker panels were found to be the most effective close air support forward line of own troops marker. However, the enemy were extremely active in employing deception to confuse aircraft and degrade the effectiveness of close air support. They employed dummy marker panels, smoke, and likely had the benefit of being able to monitor the air-to-ground communication being conducted over unencrypted Motorola radios. 
This made identifying friend or foe extremely difficult and greatly increased the time taken for close air support aircraft to provide support. Lesson learned, forward line of own troops marking techniques for aircraft need to be understood by all soldiers as qualified joint fire observers, joint terminal attack controllers may not be in a position to conduct the mark themselves. These marks need to be unmistakable as to their origin and easily verified by the aircraft. Detail and clarify are critical. Marker panels isn't sufficient. Yellow marker panels in an arrow pointing north is much better. Clear, common doctrines for the employment of joint fires as well as a thorough understanding of necessary control measures are critical. Close combatants need to routinely train with their joint fires enablers and rehearsals of such measures need to regularly occur at the tactical level. Direct fires. Observation. The Filipino gunners use their 105mm guns in a direct fire roll to penetrate the thick concrete walls prevalent in Marawi. This was generally considered an effective alternative to using squad anti-armour weapons, and the technique was employed on multiple occasions, with the infantry platoon commander involved directly liaising with the gun crew rather than calling for fire. Lesson learned. Whilst direct fire would be difficult for Royal Australian Artillery 155mm M777s due to their size and weight, direct fire remains part of Royal Australian Artillery doctrine. An understanding of how to apply light and medium guns used in this role may prove useful for future urban conflict. Furthermore, the utility of shoulder-fired weaponry with munitions optimised for the urban environment, including breaching rounds, cannot be overstated. The armed forces of the Philippines did not have these for the majority of the five months. They instead used their limited shoulder-fired weaponry with unsuited munitions. Anti-tank, high-explosive anti-tank munitions are not suited for breaching a hole in reinforced concrete, or used heavy machine gun 50 calibre to bore a point of entry, as discussed earlier. Dynamic breaching skills need to be decentralised to assault pioneers and breaches in infantry platoons. Mobility and survivability. Explosive breaching. Observation. During Marawi, there was an extraordinary requirement for explosive breaching to support infantry platoon movement. IEDs were incorporated into rubble obstacles along armed forces of the Philippines' avenues of approach and covered with sniper fire in order to deny access without sustaining casualties. The armed forces of the Philippines' response was to generate new avenues of approach through buildings which enabled cover from sniper fire and bypass of IEDs. Initially, mechanical breaching and breaching by fire were both attempted by manoeuvre elements with mixed results. Infantry platoons also used heavy machine gun 50 calibre to bore a point of entry in some buildings when engineers were unavailable. However, many of the buildings within the city were constructed of thick, heavily reinforced concrete. As such, breaches were often required to be conducted in two stages, the first stage was an explosive breach to strip away the concrete, leaving the reinforcement bars to be reduced in a second stage. Hydraulic cutters were then used to mechanically reduce the reinforcement before assaulting forces moved in. In Marawi, 
structural integrity varied greatly from building to building. Where in one building a given charge type would produce a mouse hole, in another it would cause significant damage or completely level the structure. Charge selection was described as a dark art due to the unpredictable nature of the structures and structural assessment skills were identified as a shortfall. Safety distances were refined through trial and error and balanced against the tactical scenario. Combat engineers were often only able to move a room or building to the rear in the classic hugging the belt technique used by many insurgents. The enemy continually pushed forward to remain within friendly artillery safety distances. Lesson learned, there'll be the same requirement for significant amounts of explosive breaching in future urban conflict. There'll never be enough engineers to support simultaneous manoeuvre. A priority should be placed on light urban breaching skills to enable the infantry to carry and employ their own demolitions. Rubble and Obstacle Clearance Observation. The enemy placed obstacles such as parked cars to delay or deny likely friendly avenues of approach. However, as the battle ensued, the damage caused by close air support and artillery fire created major obstacles to mounted movement and disrupted dismounted manoeuvre. Combat engineers adopted a mounted clearance technique where an M113 would move to the forward line of own troops and occupy a support by fire position. An up-armoured bulldozer and guide would then move up and clear a bound of 10 to 50 metres dependent on terrain. The bulldozer would then reverse out and allow the M113 to move forward into the newly cleared area and adopt support by fire from that position in order to provide security for the next bound. This method was described as leapfrogging. Due to the sniper threat, using dismounted guides was impossible. Instead, guides would use an unmanned aerial vehicle in conjunction with radio communications in order to remain within cover. Lesson learned. Interoperability training between infantry, engineers and armour is essential to ensure the trust and TTPs required are established. Collapsed Structure Rescue Observation Some armed forces of the Philippines' combat engineers had received critical training in collapsed structure rescue. This was found to be an invaluable skill set and was recommended to be trained to all combat engineers as part of lead-up training for any future conflicts in the urban environment. Whilst it is possible to use the skill to rescue friendly forces trapped within collapsed structures, this was not required during Marawi. The skills were primarily in a battlefield clearance team role to retrieve intelligence and biometrics from enemy corpses within collapsed buildings. Lesson learned? Similar training may be a valuable inclusion in engineer training in preparation for future urban warfare. Precision fires. One of the major threats to friendly forces was enemy snipers. The majority of these were not the highly trained and well-equipped snipers common to many armies, but instead closer to what might be better termed marksmen or sharpshooters engaging at short to medium ranges. Regardless, they exacted a heavy toll on friendly forces and often imposed significant delay on manoeuvre. Enemy Snipers Observation Although optic sights were found on a limited number of rifles, most of the enemy sniper weapons utilised iron sights. 
The vast majority of the insurgent snipers were local to the city or region and therefore had an in-depth knowledge of the city layout. Most of their hides and firing positions were well thought and planned prior to the Islamic State-inspired insurgents seizing Marawi City, often using tall buildings to dominate all approaches. The insurgents would also utilise hostages as human shields to restrict any opportunities that the armed forces of the Philippines had to return fire in their hide location. Enemy snipers utilised loophole shooting, often called murder holes, to a deadly effect. They would position hides overlooking choke points, bridges and obvious avenues of approach with excellent fields of fire, or onto killing zones where armed forces of the Philippines would traverse or dwell. They would then knock a medium-sized hole in a wall, and then, if possible, knock a smaller hole in the adjacent room. From the adjacent room, they would often set up their hide, allowing them to engage from depth with relatively good cover from fire and concealment. This tactic was also utilised in stairwells. Knowing the armed forces of the Philippines would have to make entry to clear the building, the enemy snipers would cut a hole through the stairwell and sit off some distance. Once the armed forces of the Philippines made entry, the enemy sniper would have a clear line of sight of the doorway and stairwell entry, allowing him to score a centre of mass hit. The insurgent snipers also made use of dummy hives to draw out or bait the Philippine Marine Corps scout snipers to engage. Quite often, the Philippine Marine Corps scout snipers would enter counter-sniping battles with the insurgent snipers across roads, city blocks and bridges, with the average engagement distance being 150 to 200 metres. Lesson learned, the enemy is extremely cunning and will adapt his tactics to best target Australian soldiers. Continuous analysis of enemy TTPs and dissemination of this information across the force is important in undermining the enemy's lethality and survivability. Friendly forces, particularly those most likely to be targeted by enemy snipers, should receive up-to-date information about enemy sniper TTPs and the best way to increase their survivability. Counter-sniping Observation the armed forces of the Philippines snipers quickly adapted to enemy tactics and began using loopholes and dummy hides as well. Often one team would act as a tethered goat to draw enemy sniper fire, whilst a separate team waited in a concealed hide waiting to engage. The Philippine Marine Corps normally work as pairs with mutual support from a regular infantry platoon. However, at Marawi, they deployed as a sniper platoon to support major clearance tasks conducted by the dismounted ground forces. One challenge facing the armed forces of the Philippines snipers was the enemy's use of unmanned aerial systems. Enemy snipers regularly flew unmanned aerial systems around the battle space to likely counter-sniper locations in order to identify the armed forces of the Philippines' hides. They also faced the challenge of fleeting opportunity. Exposure time of enemy targets was typically very short and at short to medium ranges of unknown distance. The armed forces of the Philippines snipers had to learn techniques to enable rapid, accurate engagement of threats at uncertain distances. Finally, insurgents often spent much of the night taking drugs such as shabu, methamphetamine, 
The Philippine Marine Corps scout snipers took advantage of this, as well as the limited enemy night fighting equipment, to move into and occupy sniper hides under the cover of darkness. Lesson learned? Improving hide construction is the most effective way to undermine the enemy's use of unmanned aerial systems to compromise hide sites. Deliberate training for fleeting engagements of enemy targets at uncertain ranges is critical in preparation for urban counter-sniping. Observing enemy habits surrounding drug use should be included in planning. Heavy drug use has been a feature in many conflicts the Australian Army has been involved in, including Somalia, CART and Afghanistan, opioids. Understanding the type, effect and routine of enemy drug use may identify key enemy vulnerabilities or periods of heightened risk. Counter-sniping, psychological. Observation. One of the major challenges faced by the armed forces of the Philippines was the severe psychological toll paid by their snipers. This was a widespread phenomenon experienced across multiple units of snipers and sharpshooters. Anecdotal evidence suggests that some individuals personally killed dozens of insurgents to the point where some were unfit to continue fighting. Lesson learned? The Australian Army must prepare snipers for the mental pressure of constant killing at short range. Having world-class infantry and snipers who are able to perform to the highest standards in training is one thing. However, all close combatants, but especially snipers and marksmen, must be psychologically prepared for near-constant killing. Logistics Combat Trauma Observation The armed forces of the Philippines' platoons had not conducted extensive training in combat trauma management, and their Role 2 and Role 3 equivalent medical facilities were not accustomed to the very high volume of casualties which can be expected during urban fighting, a significant number of which were non-battle injuries. Lesson learned? Medical planners should expect higher rates of casualties than usual when fighting in the urban environment. Furthermore, combat trauma management skills must be trained down to the individual level. Such skills save lives and instill morale. The battle also highlighted the sheer number of non-battle injuries in the urban environment and the importance of using protective equipment such as helmets, ballistic eye protection, gloves and body armour. The true value of this equipment was found in protecting combatants from secondary fragmentation, falling debris, hitting their heads while moving and preventing the cuts and scrapes which rapidly became infected in this environment. Combat resupply Observation. Ammunition consumption became an issue at the Battle of Marawi, both in terms of quantities available at fourth-line bulk ammunition depots and also in terms of delivery of ammunition and stores to the forward-deployed platoons and companies. Lesson learned. The flight light concept dictates that fighting echelons need to be enabled by an agile, responsive A and B echelon. All echelons need to work together, learn from each other and trust each other if they're to achieve and maintain an edge over such an adversary. The Australian Army should focus on delivering realistic training for close logistic support in a contested urban battle space. Delivery of rations, water, fuel and ammo are essential, but training for forward delivery of key urban stores often doesn't happen. Who will fill sandbags and with what?
How will defensive stores be moved through streets blocked by rubble? It's important to ensure that the Australian Army fully exercise all components of combat service support. Training should be realistic for every component of the fight, especially in the urban environment where logistics enablers will have to get much closer to the enemy than they will in rural fighting. Equipment. Observation. Much of the equipment used by the armed forces of the Philippines at Marawi was optimised for jungle operations. As a result, they lacked some of the equipment required to operate effectively in an urban environment. For the armed forces of the Philippines, the most valuable equipment, other than the platforms used by the combined arms team and joint fires, were related to individual fighting equipment, such as body armour, load carriage equipment, etc. Personal protective equipment, like helmets, ballistic eye protection and fire retardant clothing, etc. And lethality, night fighting equipment, weapon ancillaries such as thermal sights and enhanced optics. Furthermore, access to direct fire support weapons, particularly shoulder-fired high-explosive weaponry with multiple munition options, was also considered a priority. Lesson learned? The Australian Army has addressed many of the equipment issues required to fight and win in the urban environment with recent acquisitions. However, the Australian Army must pursue constant improvement of its equipment to ensure close combatants can rely on both a skills and equipment advantage. Conclusion The lessons learned by the armed forces of the Philippines in the Battle of Marawi, fighting a determined, ruthless enemy, are invaluable to the Australian Army. This article highlights the key tactical observations of the combat experienced by the armed forces of the Philippines fighting in Marawi, and suggested the lessons that the Australian Army can draw from these experiences. Consideration of these lessons may inform and improve current approaches to the force generation and modernisation of close combat combined arms capabilities. The experiences of the armed forces of the Philippines have broad relevance to the Australian Army across a number of corps and disciplines, including close combat, offensive support, mobility and survivability, urban sniping and counter-sniping, and logistics. We must become a force that is expert at urban fighting. Urbanisation trends, as well as the existential reality of conflict amongst people, where they live, compels us to be expert at this most difficult of environments. Continued emphasis must be placed on the importance of the individual and small team skill set. For the infantry, combat shooting, small team TTPs, battlecraft and battlefield fitness are the four factors that ultimately mean the difference between victory and defeat in this environment. Above all else, the Australian Army must have the ability to deliver small teams to the fight who are capable of shooting faster and more accurately than their enemy, who can dominate and control complex spaces more rapidly and with fewer casualties, and who can operate seamlessly with other small teams or supporting elements. For armour, engineers and artillery, these factors will be different. However, the requirement for small teams and individuals who can master their respective trades and integrate seamlessly in small combined arms teams is universal. Such small teams operating seamlessly alongside engineers, artillery and armour, as well as combat medics and military police, fighting as combined arms sections, 
platoons, combat teams and battle groups are nearly unbeatable. The armed forces of the Philippines' small teams of close combatants were faced with a number of viciously complex problems and showed remarkable adaptability and innovation in solving these under fire. It's highly likely that in a similar situation, close combatants would encounter the same complex problems. Islamic terrorists and violent extremists within the Indo-Pacific region will be studying the Marawi siege closely, as it's an example of just how brutally effective a relatively small group can be in causing chaos in a city. The Australian Army should identify the key lessons learned from Marari and implement them within training and modernisation to maximise its ability to operate, fight and win in the urban environment. Thanks for listening to this audio article by The Cove. And remember, a smarter you is a smarter army.